Ready, set, think. Hi, I'm Wes Carroll, and this is the Do the Math Puzzler. Each episode, I'll bring you a puzzle worth thinking about in your car, on your run, or wherever you may be. Episode 3. Let me lead off with a quick thank you and apology. Several listeners wrote in to express a bit of confusion or consternation over my use of the phrase half again in the last puzzler. This phrase, which I've always understood to mean one and a half times as much as, does not appear to be quite as common as I thought it was. I promise I was not being intentionally tricky. That would be a cheap shot, and I am not about cheap shots. But while we're on the subject, I would like to particularly thank Thomas Most of Kitzing in Germany for being one of the listeners to write in with this question. Thomas is currently our most distant listener, a distinction I imagine he will hold for some time. By the way, this linguistic difficulty did not stop Thomas from correctly answering the puzzler, despite the fact that English is not his native language. Thomas, you put us all to shame, but in a good way. Thanks for listening, Tomas, and you as well, dear listener, wherever you may be. In our last episode, we were considering two glasses, one tall and one short, that hold the same amount of water when full. We fill the short one completely, then fill the tall one to exactly the same level. We're given one other piece of information, which is that the short one's radius is half again the radius of the tall one. Our challenge is to figure out how full the tall glass is. Now, like last time, We could whip out pencil and paper and do this the hard way, starting with the equation for the volume of a right circular cylinder, and then assign some variable x to the radius of the tall glass and solve for the volume of the blah 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 blah. Let's try a different way instead, though. Let's start by looking at a piece of the problem. How much more water does it take to cover the bottom of the short glass? In other words, how does the area of the big circle compare to the area of the small one? Well, anything that can be measured with a ruler, like a radius, or a diameter, or the side of a rectangle, is one-dimensional. It's a length. And anything that covers some area, like a carpet or a football field, or the circular bottom of a glass, is two-dimensional. It's an area. Well, any area depends on both of its dimensions. That's why the area of a rectangle is said to be length times width. That accounts for the two dimensions. In the case of a circle, The radius measures both of the dimensions equally well, since circles are always just as tall as they are wide. So, we multiply the radius by itself. Now, we know that the radius of the short glass is one and a half times the radius of the tall one. Call it one and a half, or 1.5, or three halves. Any way you want to do the arithmetic, you multiply that number by itself, and you get two and a quarter, a.k.a. nine-fourths. That means that the bottom of the short glass needs nine-fourths as much water to cover it. Okay, So that means, when they're folded the same height, any height, the short one contains nine-fourths as much water as the tall one. Turning it around, that means the tall one has four-ninths as much water as the short one. And that means that the tall one has four-ninths as much water as it could. After all, the glasses have the same volume. So in other words, the tall glass is four-ninths full. Full credit goes to anyone who said anything in the neighborhood of 44.5%, although I imagine you probably busted out a calculator or at least pencil and paper if that's the answer you got. I really like this puzzle because it highlights the value of intuition over memorizing formulas. You don't need to know that the area of a circle is pi r squared. What you need to know is just that when you have two drawings that are the same shape but different sizes, the area of the bigger one is found by squaring the scale factor to account for the two dimensions. And that's no matter what the shape is. Works with squares, triangles, circles, 
seven-pointed stars, toddler crayon squiggles, you name it. And I'm not saying it's podcast foreshadowing necessarily, but it is true that proportional three-dimensional solids have volumes that come from the cube of their scale factors, as well as two-dimensional surface areas that come from the squares. Pretty trippy. Totally true. Often useful. Okay, let's crank up the difficulty for today's puzzler. If the last two were like New York Times Monday or Tuesday crosswords, then today's is more like a Friday, I'd say. Uh, For the non-crossword lovers among you, suffice it to say that if you're up late tonight still thinking about this, well, I really doubt you'll be the only one. Okay, here we go. Here's a little game that you can play with two fair dice, one red and one green. You throw both dice, and you use the throw to generate an infinitely long sequence of numbers, like this. First, you write down the red number, then you add in the green number, write down the result, add the green again, write down that result, and so on. So, for example, if you throw a red 3 and a green 2, you'll write down 3, followed by 3 plus 2 is 5, followed by 5 plus 2 is 7, and so on. 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, and on forever. You decide to play the game once today. What's the chance that the sequence made by your dice throw will contain a perfect square? Just in case the terminology is a bit rusty, a perfect square is a number that equals any whole number times itself. For example, 4 and 9 and 100 are all perfect squares because they are 2 times 2, 3 times 3, and 10 times 10, respectively. We'll look at solutions next time. Please send yours to wes at dtmath.com. That's W-E-S at D like David, T like Thomas, math.com. And feel free to also share any feedback on the podcast. I'm just doing this for you and me, so I'm interested to hear what you think. Good luck. Good luck.